Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this week's early edition, I am joined by PFF's Austin Gale, who has just dropped a two-round mock draft. And we are going to go through some of the picks that I love, some that I question and go through Austin's process, as well as the crazy quarterback carousel that is going to take place in this offseason, whether it is Aaron Rodgers on the move, Russell Wilson, or even Derek Carr and how that impacts when this rookie quarterback class comes off the board. So let's get right into it. Let's ring the bell. Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Trevor is on a much-deserved mini vacation. So I brought in some backup PFFs. Austin Gale, you probably know his voice and his face from the tailgate pod. Dude, I'm excited to have you on here. As much as I miss Trevor a lot, I have to admit, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun today. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. And also, I saw Trevor Sikama's Instagram story, a little boomerang of some beach. I'm not sure where he's at, but it looks much deserved and also like a phenomenal time this time of year. I didn't want to blow up his spot too much, but uh, yeah, Trevor is is getting some much deserved relaxation before the NFL Combine, and you know, guys like us don't really get a break until <laughs> around June. So good for Trevor. Um, he will be back shortly, though. This will not be a long hiatus. So today is going to be a little different. Yes, we are going to be mock draft focused. Most Monday shows for the NFL Stock Exchange either do a mock draft, a redraft, some kind of draft format. Today, Austin and I. Uh, have a very unique outlook as Austin is dropping a two-round mock draft. As you're listening to this, there's a good chance that it's already live. Go check out the full thing. We're going to go through picks that we love, that we're seeing a lot, and some picks that we hate so far in the mock drafting world. It could be because of fit. It could be because you like the player and you don't want him to go to a bad team. There's a million different reasons. I think part of the allure of mock drafts is the outrage they cause, and a lot of today's show is going to be centered around that. So, Austin, I kind of want to kick it to you. Is this your first two-rounder of the year so far? It is my first two-round mock draft for the 2022 NFL Draft. I usually do one or two two-round mock drafts. I don't often venture to the three-round, but uh, it's it's one of my favorite times of the year, honestly. I love going through the scenarios of the first and second rounds. It gives you an opportunity also to talk about a lot of players or at least reference acknowledge a lot of players that you just aren't doing in a lot of other content, right? Your first round mock drafts are focused on 32 players. And a lot of the content that you're doing this part of the year, specifically before the combine is top three, top five players at each position doing a two round mock draft really does get you to speak to the depth of the class, or at least highlight the depth of the class at different positions. Yeah. I I really enjoyed reading through this because I think we get to see a lot of the names that I think this time of year creates an issue of there's so many no shot he'll be there, right? Everybody's running the mock yes. draft simulators and often the first replies, are, and I get it. There's a lot of times where there could be a pick or two where you're just like, man, I just don't see that happening. But eventually you get to the point where 50 to 60 players don't have a shot of making it out of the first round. So when you do this exercise and look at two rounds, you sit there and go, oh, well, somebody has to make it out at some point and this landing spot uh, makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to start right at the top of this a pick or a landing spot that I love that is very obvious, but I think it did not show up in your mock draft because he was already gone. I really like the idea of Aiden Hutchinson staying in the state of Michigan, going to the Lions, fitting in with Dan Campbell, and giving the Lions maybe 
one of their big identity splash moves that they've had in a long time where you know the guy is a high floor player. You know he's probably going to have a lot of success. It's a need for them. And he fits the mold, I think, of that fan base. In this mock draft, you had him going number one over the, overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The hot pick for them lately has been Evan Neal, the offensive lineman. Uh, so how do you look at Jacksonville right now, the scenario of taking a player that is your number one player in Aiden Hutchinson, number one overall, versus passing on an offensive tackle? Yeah, I think it's tough. And I do think that these sports books have it right. If you look at DraftKings, Evan Neal and Aiden Hutchinson are both plus 175 to go number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars because I do think the Jacksonville Jaguars will ultimately be splitting hairs between those two players. There's a lot of value in taking an Evan Neal, who's arguably the top offensive tackle in this class. I know some do like Charles Cross. Mike Renner specifically thinks Charles Cross is the number one overall offensive tackle, the guy out of Mississippi State. Others really like Ike Kwanu out of NC State. But Evan Neal, in my opinion, is the best of both worlds right cross is this uber athletic smooth moving pass protecting offensive tackle had over what like 800 pass blocking snaps in that mike leach mississippi state offense and then yes, Kwanu is this road grading monster of an offensive tackle that in a run heavy offense will do wonders for you where evan neal is a balance of them both and he's going to test freaky at the combine he's on the you know he's number two on bruce feldman's freaks list this past offseason you know who's number one though it was Aiden Hutchinson. I do think a lot of people's minds will change when Aiden Hutchinson ultimately goes to the combine. I know there's a lot of conversation about him not being as athletic as some of the other edge players in this class, but I'll tell you what, I'm working on the Hutchinson podcast here at PFF called Hutch. It's where I have opportunities to work with Aiden Hutchinson, his agency, his teammates, his coaches, and everyone I talk to is like, this guy's different. His short shuttle's faster than some of the defensive backs at Michigan. David Ojabo losing straight line races against Aiden Hutchinson in time at practice. That's how explosive this dude is. Pushing 15 more pounds than David Ojabo, right? Ojabo's highlighted as this super athletic, explosive dude, and Hutchinson's still doing it with 15, 20 pounds more than him. So I do think once Hutchinson goes to the combine, his athletic testing should based off all that I've heard, be very similar to what we saw from the Bosa's, right? I'm not saying they're the same player. I think the Bosa's are a bit bendier, but still the athleticism will be there. I really like the fit, obviously, for Hutchinson to stay in Michigan. He's from Dearborn, Michigan. His entire family's from Michigan. He's played his entire career in Michigan. I think I love that fit, but I ultimately think the talent's too good for him to be available at number two overall. And if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm siding with Hutchinson over Evan Neal in what will ultimately be like a decision they're splitting hairs on. Yeah, I think for me, when it's all said and done, Hutchinson is going to is grading out as a better player than Evan Neal, which makes the scenario a really complex, really interesting to kick things off. And I know it's more of a we love this pick or we hate this pick. This is truly one where I am fully 50 50 on. I think why I love it is it allows Hutchinson to go to a place where he has a somewhat legit edge rusher and Josh Allen in place there where you can see them working in tandem and feeding off each other. And, and sometimes one guy will draw a good matchup. Sometimes they can really be interchangeable kind of players where if he goes to the lines, as much as I like the young defensive tackles they took last year, I think there might be hero expectations that are not, and it depends what they do in free agency, of course, as well. I think it puts some pressure on him. That can be a tough initial landing spot could be a underwhelming rookie season from a production standpoint where Jacksonville, that might not actually be the case. Now, why I don't like this pick necessarily is goes back to you'd like to see him stay in Michigan. I think his reception from the Lions fans would be uh, totally different than what's there in Jacksonville. And then I think it also creates this narrative going forward of, 
what has Jacksonville done for Trevor Lawrence? And that's exactly. going to put a lot of pressure on everyone in that organization. So this is a pick I really uh, struggle to go one way or the other with, uh, you know, full spectrum. I do feel if I was forecasting, right, a lot of this is what I would do in this situation. Sure. I would do at number one overall is take Aiden Hutchinson. And you're right. I think he's going to grade out as a better prospect respective to his position than Evan Neal. Now, for Jacksonville, they're in a position where they need to do everything, throw the kitchen sink at developing Trevor Lawrence and adding talent around him. That's why Evan Neal went plus from plus 900. Nine to one odds to be the number one overall pick. And over the last four weeks is now tied for first in odds to be the number one overall pick with Aiden Hutchinson because there's growing, growing support of this idea that they're going to bring in someone that can help Trevor Lawrence, not necessarily that defense. I do think if I was forecasting, Evan Neal is the decision from the Jacksonville Jaguars. However, I stand by, I do think that Aiden Hutchinson would be my pick if I was ultimately on the clock. All right, so let's keep going down the board here. What is one pick in the top 10 that when you wrote it in, you're like, Man, that felt too easy. Like, I didn't even think 30 seconds about it. I just think this is such a layup that it actually might become that layup on draft night. So I do think wide receiver to the Jets is one of my favorite picks at 10. I do think them locking into their wide receiver one. However, I do have a trade at nine that ultimately keeps them from my wide receiver one in this class. But wide receiver to the Jets at 10 feels right. And I think we're going to consistently see wide receiver mock to the Jets at that pick because – they, similar to Jacksonville, need to do everything in their power to develop Zach Wilson. It's the number one thing on their list. It doesn't matter if their defense is the worst in the NFL next year if they're moving in the right direction in supporting Zach Wilson and improving this offense. I think a pick that felt too easy, honestly, with how this mock draft played out was Kyle Hamilton at eight to the Atlanta Falcons. He is arguably the best prospect in this class. You could argue that because of how talented he is and how versatile he is and what he's immediately going to do at the safety position. The only reason I think I could see him slipping right outside the top three, outside the top five, despite being PFS number two overall player is this positional value component, right? Safety is one of the lowest paid positions in the NFL. And that's reflected in the draft. Oftentimes not seeing guys come off and off the board at safety in the top five and top 10. However, if he falls as far as eight, This Atlanta Falcons defense is bereft of talent like Kyle Hamilton, bringing him in at eight. And I know there's some consideration at corner playing opposite of AJ Terrell, whether it's Ahmad Gardner or Derek Stingley. I think if Kyle Hamilton is available to the Atlanta Falcons at eight, which is how it played out in this mock draft, it's a sprint the card in situation. He's that good of a player. I don't care that safety is low on the positional value chart. Yeah, I think the Falcons are interesting because they're a team that they have some leeway with recent hires and they are trying to really transform that roster before Matt Ryan kind of rides off into the sunset and they they stop kicking quarterback that can down the road. So Hamilton is where I often find myself uh, that to be his landing spot as one of the rare premium players in this draft. All right, so I loved what you did with the Jets at 10 there. That is a pick I like, whether it's Garrett Wilson, whether it's Traylon Burks, uh, even if it's Drake London, who was already off the board. I think any of those three would be a win for Zach Wilson. I'm going to stay there, though. One pick that I hate and that I really want your guys' explanation for because he is third on the big board is Derek Stingley, a corner at four to the New York Jets. I struggle with Stingley. I see the ceiling. I see Mm -hmm. the ball skills, especially in 2019. I see the size, the length, the speed, basically a build a corner in a sense. But when, and I know it's really hard to, to, you know, value or lack of value or, or scare yourself with injuries, uh, inconsistent play after that true freshman season. And just a matter of that. He is kind of become one of the biggest wild cards in this draft. And the fact that, you know, besides a Jalen Ramsey, you know, and, and we've had Jeff Okuda, but corners traditionally, 
do not hear their name called in the top five, especially in a league that is limited what they can do. You guys are really high on Stingley. Uh, sell me on that pick, not just the landing spot, really the player as a top five pick to a team that on early downs, they do run a lot of zone. Then on third down, they go to a lot of man. So there is the need there, uh, but they have a lot of needs. And I'll argue this too. It's a difficult pick at number four for the Jets because I want to give them a blue chip talent. I do think that Derek Stingley is comfortably a blue chip talent in this class when healthy. I think that he's that good. He's one of the few true scheme versatile cornerbacks in the NFL draft. I think in every draft, what gets one of the most under-discussed things is scheme versatility at the cornerback position. Ahmad Gardner, as good as he is, is not nearly as scheme versatile as what Derek Stingley brings to the table. Trent McDuffie, who's a top 10 player on PFF's draft board, the Washington cornerback, is not going to play press man in single high concepts all all in his NFL career. He's going to be limited to two high concepts, a heavy zone system. Derek Stingley can do whatever you want, if healthy. And that's the biggest question mark. If he can answer some of these injury red flags, some of these injury concerns at the combine and in this pre-draft process, People will covet him as this number one overall cornerback. Now, I know reports are that teams are souring on him as cornerback one, and more often see Ahmad Gardner is that. I just feel that if you can answer those injury concerns, Derek Stingley will be the consensus cornerback one. I think it's a lot of unknown with Derek Stingley that's kind of pushing him down draft boards, and rightfully so, right? Like, he has been inconsistent since he got hurt. But what he did at 18, 19 years old in 2019 against SEC competition, some of the best receivers in all college football that year, and legit NFL talents, we won't probably see again. I'll mm-hmm. say it again. We will not see that again. We will not see that young of a player, a true freshman, play that well in the SEC probably ever again. And if we can get that back in the NFL, like if he was draft eligible after that season, he might have been the number one overall pick. Like that's yeah. how good he was that year. And I I do take to this unknown, right? Like I don't like that we haven't seen that level of play from him since. I don't like that he's had injury concerns left and right. But you have to also think about the situation he was in at LSU. I mean, this went from – top of the class, Ed Ogeron highlighted as, you know, this top coach in college football to a relative dumpster fire and that he's kind of pushed out and there's rumors that Ed Ogeron is committed to LSU and all that stuff. He's going to play wide receiver and quarterback this season. I do think that there wasn't legitimate stability from a leadership perspective at LSU. I'm not making excuses for Derek Singley, but there are some reasons, right, to why maybe we didn't see him have the success after that 2019 season. I will say, if you want to argue an offensive tackle there, that's probably the pick I'd lean over Derek Singley if you were going to tell me someone else, right? Because I do think that they want Mekhi Becton insurance, a lot of reports out of Jets camp right now is that Mekhi Becton isn't you know taking to the offseason as you'd like I mean there's some injury concerns how he's recovered from that injury potentially adding weight and even if Mekhi Becton does come back healthy you still need help along that offensive line I do think offensive tackle when you consider positional value could be a spot for them at four if they like Aquanu, Cross or Evan Neal however if you aren't going offensive tackle I do think Stingley would be my pick yeah, and to be fair to you, Aquanu was off the board at three in this mock draft you had, which is obviously the favorite uh, for Jets fans. He, he fits the scheme. He, a lot of people think he can kick inside if you had your dream scenario with Fanton Becton healthy enough to be a tackle. So definitely a different perspective. All right, before we move on from the top 10, I do want to touch on the New York Giants because when you have these tandem teams picking in the top 10, they're going to walk away with two top 10 picks. You just have to address that in the draft. I love your thought process, and it's one that not only I've gone with in almost every mock draft I've done for the Giants, uh, but one that I think Joe Shane will bring to them, and that is each side of the ball in the trenches. We are going to build this from the ground up, and you have an ownership group that wants to give Daniel Jones a fair chance. Whether people agree with that or not, they want to do that the right way. 
They want things to be better for Saquon Barkley before they have to make a decision on him. And if you do play, you know, make picks in the trenches, that's something that will carry over to help whatever the future is of your, your quarterback and the future of your defense, especially with Wink Martindale over there. So you had Evan Neal at five to the Giants. I think any Giants fan would sign up for that, a guy that's played on the left and right side. That helps out with the Andrew Thomas situation as well. And seven, George Karloftis, who this feels like the landing spot. Like we're going to say this pick so many times and then it probably just happens. So are you with that theme for the Giants? I know you did it in this mock draft, but is that something you're seeing to be consistent? Yeah, I'm 100% with that theme. I think doing these mock drafts, I think Giants fans want that too. Giants fans, I mean, uh, the most common mock draft for the Giants at five and seven, according to PFS Mock Draft Simulator, which tracks all of that stuff when you are picking for the Giants, it logs every single pick, is actually Evan Neal and Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah. Now, Linderbaum is fantastic, and I do think he's the top center in this class. He's borderline the top center we've graded out as a draft, uh, as a draft prospect since we've been doing this since 2014. But Again, positional value is going to drive him down the board for me, and I'd rather attack a high positional value like Edge here at seven. And I will be, this entire draft process, banging the table, standing up for George Karloftis as a top 10 pick. I will. And like I think this is ultimately the highest he goes mm. or the highest he's mocked draft or he's you know put in mock drafts, but I stand by it. George Karloftis for me is a top 10 player. I do think that the, he is going to surprise a lot of people at the combine he's not again as bendy as people will want i think there will be concerns with what he does um in the three cone in the short shuttle my comparison for him um is justin tuck i see a lot of justin tuck from george Karloftis, a guy that's super explosive in a straight line super strong can play has inside outside versatility and is immediately just a very productive player early on in his nfl career this guy at 12 years old played for the u14 greek national water polo team that's very difficult to do for americans to even understand how hard that is to do he credits a lot of his lower body strength to how good he was or how much he played water polo where you have to tread water for hours on end he is going to do some wild wild stuff at the combine so much that you are going to more often see him mock drafted inside the top 10 i think i've seen mock drafts where he falls outside the top 20 that's just absurd to me i don't see him falling that far he's a much better player than that yeah pass rushers always go early especially a guy that has the size uh, I think the athleticism will be fine, and he's a high-floor player. He's held up against the run at times. He Obviously, the effort's phenomenal, so I, I don't see any chance he makes it out of the top 15, let alone the top 20. All right, moving outside the top 10, uh, an absolute – well, before I get into the absolute dynamite outside the top 10, I want to ask you – what was your favorite pick in the, the next section of this mock draft? So a lot of me wants to say Ahmad Gardner, the Cincinnati cornerback going to the Baltimore Ravens. Love the team fit. that plays, plays a ton of single high, uh, plays a ton of man coverage. I think that at that value too, I think we've seen Ahmad Gardner mocked inside the top 10 a handful of times. If you're able to get a talent like Ahmad Gardner in a scheme fit like Baltimore at 14, I think that's a ton of value. I also love, I've seen some mock drafts. One of my favorite fits is even having George Karloftis fall all the way down to 14, a team that's known for developing defensive line talent, specifically edge talent to go beyond what may be previously expected. Baltimore is going to be one of my favorite spots, depending on where they go. I think another pick that I really like is Chris Olave to the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns are being mock draft or, or the mock drafts you see for the Cleveland Browns are one of the two Ohio State receivers. I think the more common one you see is Garrett Wilson uh, of Ohio State, who I think is very dynamic, can do wild things after the catch. Chris Olave, smooth route runner, faster in a straight line than Garrett Wilson, and I think is a very high floor type of player, like high, high end wide receiver two floor, and could develop into this wide receiver one, not as a player, not 
stylistically this is the comp but in terms of production and how confident i am in him as a pro i relate it to rashad bateman right rashad bateman was never you know kind of build as this Jamar Chase change the game type, but you knew going in, he was going to be very productive when healthy and going to be this high floor type of player. I think Olave has that same ceiling floor projection. All right. So the pick that I have to talk about here, that is it's uh it's the first time I've seen it. It's a trade. You had the Seahawks trading Russell Wilson to the commanders. Yes. The commanders folks. So now the Seahawks slot in at 11, the returns good. They got the 11th overall pick in this draft. They got a first rounder in 2023 uh, and they got a second rounder this year. So two ones and a two now at 11, they take Sam Howell. And I believe that would be the first quarterback to come off the board in this mock draft. So I have to ask, do you see Sam Howell as QB one, or was this just more of the landing spot scheme fit? And for the Seahawks in your eyes, is Sam Howell enough to, move on from a a Super Bowl era with Russell Wilson and start this over, not just with Howell, but you're getting two premium picks that are going to be used to rebuild around him. I do feel ultimately Sam Howell will be my QB1 in the 2022 NFL draft. Now there's still more time to come. I think I want to see the combine. I want to see how, you know, how reports come out of this interview process. He's a guy that I have had an opportunity to talk to, became really impressed with how he holds himself. Sam Howell for me is my QB1 right now. I think things can change in the pre-draft process as you learn more and as you sure. hear more. And as for, for Seattle, is he enough to move on from the Super Bowl era and Russell Wilson? I'll, I'll say it. No, but you have yeah. to start your search for the quarterback of the future at some point. And I think at 11, Sam Howell is enough to at least begin that search, right? And I don't think for NFL draft, you know, when you have conversations about the NFL draft and you have analysis around the NFL draft, there's enough conversation around the search for a quarterback is not one and done, right? Like you need to begin that search for the quarterback of the future. And that may not hit the first time you take a Sam Howell, right? And you do, you might have to pull a situation like the Arizona Cardinals and take Kyler Murray after taking Josh Rosen. Like you have to start that pursuit though. And I think Sam Howell has enough tools, a rocket arm, mobility, six foot, 220, to where you can start your search with Sam Howell. But it doesn't end with him, right? You don't have to go full New York Giants with him and commit three, four years and create excuses for Daniel Jones to a point where you're going to consider taking his fifth-year option if he doesn't play well. What you can do is begin your search with Sam Howell, recognize what he's good at, recognize what he's not, and identify, get more evidence to identify whether or not you want to put the resources in, the two first-round picks that you've invested in, and building around Sam Howell. And I think the reason for me mocking this trade is talking to the reporters here at PFF, Ari Mayrov and Doug Kine. They feel 51% likely that Russell Wilson is wow. not a Seattle Seahawk. 51% right over the edge, right? Right over that 50-50 chance, right over the edge that he's not a Seattle Seahawk in 2022. So trying to be realistic with what kind of situations could be in, I think Washington has the draft capital to do it and has a roster in place where I think they can compete with Russell Wilson. Some people are mocking a Malik Willis or a Sam Howell or a Matt Corral to the Washington Commanders at 11. I'll tell you right now, this roster is better than getting a rookie on, yeah. a, on a rookie contract to come in and try and compete. Their shortest path to a Super Bowl is trading for a veteran, whether that's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. They need to go get someone that can win with what is objectively a talented roster. Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson on defense, Chaz, uh, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. They have talent there, enough talent to where a good quarterback, you know, a borderline top 10, top 12 quarterback could bring them on a postseason run. Russell Wilson, I think, is better than that and ultimately could win 
with the Washington Commanders. And all this is not so much that Russell Wilson hasn't played enough well enough in Seattle. They have to move on. It's more about the reports you hear about their relationship souring him, maybe him, both sides maybe not wanting to move forward with Russell Wilson. That is what's driving this. Not so much that Seattle should trade Russell Wilson because he hasn't played well enough, but more so that I'm buying into these reports, right? I'm buying into these reports that Russell Wilson and that relationship in Seattle has soured to a point where they will look to move on from him this offseason. I am too, honestly, keeping with the Russ topic. If, you know, this has lingered for so long, this frustration, and usually there's a reason for that, right? If the frustrations, if they wanted that that noise to go away, the Russ camp would put an end to that, right? And I think it's to the point where the Seattle side is absolutely frustrated as well. So I don't think this is a one-sided thing. Now, do I think Seattle as a franchise is to the point where they want to fully move on? They're probably still kind of treading water with that, while Russ, it's always seemed like over the last calendar year, Uh, that he's been very open to moving on. And if you're Seattle, when you look at his age, his body type, you might want to sell a year early rather than sell a year or two late if you can get this kind of return. And I would argue another piece of the puzzle, too, is, you know, Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in the NFL. Yeah, You you don't know how much longer you're going to be working with Pete Carroll. Now, if Pete Carroll does not want to be a part of this kind of rebuild, no. you, ulti- you ultimately have to you know, commit to Russell Wilson, right? And try and exercise as much as you can out of this window. However, you know, the reports from Doug Kide, a reporter here at PFF, are you know, asking some people around the NFL, do you think Russell Wilson will have to force his way out of Seattle? But the answers to that are he might not have to because Seattle could be willing to move on. So there is smoke there. Whether or not it will result to fire will, it will be TBD. Yeah, I'm with you. That's going to be one of the, you know, once we get through the Aaron Rodgers noise, that's the guy everyone's going to have their (laughs) eyes on. And I actually love the Washington landing spot. I agree with you. The roster is really good. I think if you're Washington, you're looking at that division right now and you're going, okay, we know the Giants are going to rebuild. We we know that, right? The Eagles are kind of in this middle ground point where we're interested to see where they go next with the three first rounders and Jalen Hurts. And then you have the Cowboys who are going to lose someone this offseason, right? We don't know if it's going to be Amari Cooper. We don't know if it's going to be Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, Randy Gregory. We don't know, but we know they're going to lose someone, and that kind of opens the door for, hey, maybe you can take advantage here, but Ken Russ get us over the top. All right, before we move out of the uh, 10 to 20 range, two picks I I cannot get enough of. The Chargers with Jamison Williams. Yes, you'll have to be patient, but Mike Williams is going to test free agency, we're assuming. I think Jamison fits like a glove for Herbert pushing the ball vertically. We know what Jamison can do down the field with that. And the other one I like that I think I've put in most of my mock drafts so far is the Eagles taking Devin Lloyd with their last first rounder. Everybody usually responds when you give the Eagles a linebacker in the first round of the last couple of years. Howie will never do this. Well, maybe it's time Howie changes a little bit because I think Devin Lloyd is worth every bit of that top 20 pick, especially for an Eagles team that needs a game changer in the middle of their defense. Yeah, I think every mock draft I do from here to the for, from here till April, we'll have Jamison Williams at 17, the Los Angeles Chargers. It's too awesome of a fit. And it, I think that's with or without Mike Williams, right? If they yeah, find a way to bring Mike Williams back, still add Jamison Williams. Something that I was having a conversation with Mike Renner on the Tailgate podcast recently about you do not, when you are building a Super Bowl competitive roster, you don't need a top flight receiver. You need multiple. The best teams in the NFL don't just have a Devontae Adams. They have a Tyreek Hill, a Travis Kelsey, things beyond that, right? You look at the, you look at the um, Los Angeles Rams. They traded for Odell Beckham Jr. when Robert Woods was healthy. 
know, yeah. they said, hey, we got Cooper Cup, who's going to lead the league in receiving yards, receptions, and touchdowns this year. We have Robert Woods, who's a top-flight receiver himself, and we're still going to go get Odell Beckham Jr. Buffalo Bills with Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis. They want to add you know, Dawson Knox. Every team, top team in the NFL, top offenses, don't have a good receiver or even two good receivers. They have multiple offensive playmakers. I think the Chargers don't have a need at receiver, but I think it's a luxury they should chase at 17, especially if Jamison Williams is available with the injury discount you're getting, obviously getting hurt in the national championship. And then you bring up Devin Lloyd. I love Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd's top linebacker for me. I think he draws, rightfully so, the Fred Warner comparisons in this draft class. He has the size, the athleticism, the, 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 the recognition on tape, the play recognition, the football IQ. Now, I, similar to Harry Roseman, don't love taking linebacker inside the top 10, top 15. But if he does get to this point where he is there at 19 and you have this embarrassment of riches That's from the first round changer. picks, but yeah, yes. it's like you have so many first round picks, go get another legit talent at a position, an obvious position of need. So at 19, I can get behind it. Now, there are other teams with only one first-round pick, most teams with only one first-round pick. And if you are spending that top 15, top 20 pick, your only pick in the first round on a Devin Lloyd, you're just not going to have the impact, right, of other players that you can get, whether it's receiver, edge, offensive tackle, et cetera. So I think the Eagles are a prime landing spot for him at that 19 spot. All right, before we move into the back end of round one and eventually round two, I want to remind you guys right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use the code NFLSE. You love the numbers that we bring to you on the show. You can get that and more. You can get all of PFF's locked article content, the NFL draft guide, of course, a completely unlocked mock draft simulator. So if you're liking the mock draft show right now, you can go to your own completely unlocked free agent rankings. That free agent tracker uh, saves my life, and it has for the last <laughs> couple of years. If you want to follow free agency position groups step by step, that's the way to go. And of course, the grades and of course, the data. If you want the premium numbers, the premium stats, whether you're evaluating prospects from college football to the NFL or NFL players on your favorite team yourself, you can get that and so much more. Support our podcast. Use the promo code NFLSE for 25% off. That's right. 25% off any subscription. All right, let's move to the back end of round one. Uh, was there anything you you struggled with here? Actually, I want to take this a different direction. We talked about a lot of picks that we liked from 10 to 20. Was there any, because now a lot of the talent, I think the, the meat and potatoes of this class is really that top 20. This is where it gets a little bit more tough. I think something I struggle with is where do I slot in Jordan Davis, right? And I'm not, I'll Me say too. this right now. I am not on board with this surge of Jordan Davis to the Chargers at 17. I much prefer Jamison Williams at 17 over Jordan Davis. And a fit I've come to like a lot is Buffalo Bills at 25 grabbing Jordan Davis, who will see some talent along the defensive line likely leave via free agency. I think bringing in a guy to compliment Ed Oliver like that would be special. I think there are other teams towards the back end of the first round where you can start to see that make sense. But honestly, the Buffalo Bills are one of my favorite spots. And I think beyond that, it's also what do the Pittsburgh Steelers do at the quarterback position? Mm. I have them making a trade for Derek Carr in this mock draft. I think that's another team, right, similar to Washington. And I know Mike Tomlin was at the Senior Bowl hawking in on Malik Willis, and he loves his quarterback class, whatever. The Pittsburgh Steelers have too good of a roster to go get a rookie quarterback and, and essentially kill this window of T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick. They, they have too much talent on this roster to do that, in my opinion, so much that they are another one of these teams, similar to Washington, where they should go make a play for a veteran quarterback that could be available on the market. Now, I do feel that the likelihood that Derek Carr has moved on from is increasingly less now that they have signed Josh McDaniels as their new head coach, and you see reports that they're considering signing him to an extension worth $40 million-plus 
per year for Derek Carr. But I think Pittsburgh could be in a position to give them an offer they can't refuse, right? And that they could trade multiple first rounders and a second round pick to go get Derek Carr because they are, they objectively, in my opinion, have a better roster than what the Raiders have right now and are in a better position to win with Derek Carr than the Raiders are in right now. And that's the reason, right? It's not that Derek Carr has played poorly. It's not that the Las Vegas Raiders need to move on from him because he's not playing well. It's that this roster simply won't be good enough to win with Derek Carr until you have to back up the Brinks truck and make him a top five paid player at the position. And at that point, if you pay Derek Carr all this money, guess what? Your window of adding talent at different positions where they need upgrades at four spots along the offensive line, multiple spots at receiver, pretty much every position on defense outside of Max Crosby, Nick and Gakwe. By the time you try and add all that talent, Derek Carr is going to be nearing, what, 35, 36 years old, and this window is over. Pittsburgh right now has a good enough roster to win with Derek Carr where it makes sense to trade multiple first-round picks potentially to go get him and compete for a deep postseason run. This is a team that went to the playoffs with the lowest-graded quarterback in the NFL in Ben Roethlisberger. Tell me they can't win with Derek Carr. I, I, I think you'd be foolish. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I actually love it for the Steelers. I am very curious to see what the Raiders do. My gut feeling is they hold on to him. McDaniels looks at it and goes, I can win with that guy. I sold you the plan. Of we can get the most out of him. We're going to take a wide receiver in this draft, which you had them doing at 22 with Traylon Burks. My wide receiver won in this draft, so I obviously love the value here. But my favorite pick actually in this 20 to 30 spot, excluding the Burks pick, has to be Tyler Linderbaum making it to 23, which I don't think is insane. Let me make that clear. I think everybody... Uh, is very conflicted on when Linderbaum goes here. Is it a scenario where, you know, he's so good he has to go in the top 10 or a center at that size, which I think is what the NFL is looking at, him being sub 300 pounds. Can we use a top 20 pick on him? You have him going to the Cardinals. This obviously helps Kyler Murray. This obviously helps their run game. Uh, This gives them a, a certified stud with a late first round pick that also fits their offensive scheme because of how athletic he is. So Linderbaum at 23, one, do you think there's a shot this can happen? You guys have him as a top 15 player. I will be surprised if anyone doesn't have him as a top 15 player. And two, uh, I don't even really need to ask, but why does this make so much sense for them? Yeah, for number one, and I agree with you that I could see this happening purely again from a position to value perspective. Center is not going to be coveted, right? Like you don't, you're not going to draft Linderbaum top 10, top 15 over even, you know, players that are worse prospects you know, respective to their position, just because adding a center with one of those valuable picks, you're not going to get that return on investment. Whereas drafting one, if he falls as good as him at 23, you can start to get behind it sincerely. And I think that's what Arizona will ultimately do because he's a perfect fifth of the offense you want to run. Like exactly what you said, they want athletic moving offensive linemen for the type of run concepts they want to do. And honestly, they need to do everything in their power to bring Kyler Murray and that relationship back to full force. I think Tyler Linderbaum is a great start for that. All right, looking outside of the top 30 picks, we'll end the first round here before we take a brief look at round two. The Lions here, obviously picking for the Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. You had them going Matt Corral. Now, I actually think this is decent value for Corral, who I do like, and I don't really love the quarterbacks in round one of this draft, but I think this is fine. I got to be transparent here. This is a a spot for the Lions that very often when I've been doing my mock drafts, I know I've had them uh, before he blew up at the Senior Bowl. I've had them go Malik Willis here. And then recently I had them go Kenny Pickett here. You had them go Matt Corral. And Lions fans have sold me on not taking a quarterback in this draft. And at first I was like, you know, it's kind of crazy. You obviously are not going to be thinking playoffs with Jared Goff for the next five years. That's not that's not really why you acquired him. He's shown you that, you know, what he is. And you'd rather get really good players in this spot. So 
I know that's how the response is going to be from Lions fans to you with Corral. And, mm-hmm. and as much as I've made quarterback picks here, I have heard that reception. And I go, I, I don't think you're wrong. I can You can sell me on going a different direction here. I've had N'Kobe Dean go here, which a lot of people thought was late. I don't think it's that crazy because of his size. So one, Corral to the Lions. Why do you like it? And two is, is this the year, because it's 32, it's not number two overall, that the Lions look for life after Goff? Or do they just keep kicking this can down the road because Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes are on five-year deals. I think the argument for kicking the can is that Jared Goff, whether you cut, trade, or whatever him in 2022, is due $30 million, Mm -hmm. right? And, like, you know, a lot of people buy into this sunk cost fallacy where if we're paying him $30 million, we might as well play him. Yeah. But the the shortest path to a Super Bowl for the Detroit Lions is not watching Jared Goff play okay again next year (laughs) and him him, him limping to a four, five, six-win season. Say seven-win season for the Detroit Lions, a team that right now, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, has the lowest percentage chance to win the AFC and the lowest percentage chance to win the Super Bowl. What is the point? I'll say this. What is the point of watching Jared Goff play another 17-game season as your starting quarterback? There isn't one outside of, well, we are paying him $30 million. That's, again, sunk cost fallacy. Start, I said this with other teams as well, with Seattle's drafting at 11. Start your search for your next quarterback now. Because no, you are not going to benefit from watching Jared Goff play a 17-game season where you know he is not your quarterback of the future. No one is buying into Jared Goff being the quarterback of the future, especially at the rate that you're paying him. And while it does suck, right, that you're going to pay a Jared Goff $30 million to either sit the bench or whatever you do with Jared Goff, it's better for him to sit the bench and for you to learn about a potential quarterback of the future there are teams that like Matt Corral right and I'm not saying this quarterback class is good I'm not saying Matt Corral should be considered you know even a first round pick in other classes but what you have to do if you are the Detroit Lions is begin this search for a new quarterback because you don't know what's going to happen next year Mm. Jared Goff could you know luck himself into a seven game win season six game win season and guess who goes first overall Bryce Young guess who goes second overall CJ Stroud and you are on the outside looking in again you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You have a 30-second overall pick where you can get that fifth-year option on a quarterback that, yeah, maybe you're not buying as this next Trevor Lawrence, but at least you'll have an opportunity to put him in a situation and see how good he is and get more evidence on him being this quarterback of the future. Because you'd much rather, in my opinion, pay Jared Goff $30 million, whether he's cut or on the bench, and see Matt Corral go 1-16, in 2-15, in than see Jared Goff win six or seven games for you. Because guess what? If Matt Corral does that for you, you're in prime position to go get a legit quarterback prospect in next year's class, whether that is Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, whoever ultimately is this consensus quarterback one, and what a lot of people are seeing as a top quarterback class. Too often, Lions fans are saying, if we take a quarterback in the first round this year, then we can't take one next year. That's not true. That's yeah. not true. You know, that's not true with any quarterback you take in any first round, right? Like, number one, number two overall picks probably excluded. But you don't your, – your quarterback search is not one and done. It's like, okay, we drafted Matt Corral 32nd overall. We're going to build around him for thir- you know, three years. No. No, you're not. You're going to play him, see if there's enough there to build around him. And if there's not, and he does go 1-16, 2-15, as maybe some people would expect, you're in a prime position to actually get an upgrade at that position. Uh, I I just don't understand why Detroit Lions fans aren't excited at the opportunity to start this quarterback search now rather than kick the can down the road into the unknown and what all could be with Dan Campbell and how good he was last year, a 7-8 win season where they don't make the playoffs and they're outside the quarterback uh, class in 2023. I think I'll argue for them, they want good players and they want sure things. And that's there's no such thing as that in any draft. There certainly isn't a lot of that at pick 32 in any draft. So I think for them, looking at the roster, how bare bones it was from the previous regime and really the previous head coach who had obviously a lot of roster influence, is that they know they are so 
you know, they are lacking in so many other areas from that that they want to keep stacking the deck in those areas with this 32nd pick. But I get your, obviously I get your, I've done it myself. Like I said, with Malik Willis, with Kenny Pickett, uh, you had Corral go here at 32. At some point, you need to be thinking quarterback. And I do think I have found myself in a bad habit, not recently, but very early on in this mock draft process. November was the, when I launched my first one. I said it a lot in December of constantly going CJ Stroud and and Bryce Young. Like you constantly, you go like, okay, mm-hmm. let's build the plan to go get those guys. And as much as there's promise there, they are very promising NFL prospects. We have seen, I mean, let's be real. This time last year or the day after the draft, when people dropped their mock draft for the following year already, Sam Howell was a top five pick. Everybody was like, okay, Sam Howell's the next guy up. How do you get Sam Howell? It happens. Spencer year. Rattler. Oh, my God. Spencer Rattler was a top three pick. Spencer Rattler's not even in this draft because of how things fell apart. So Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of risk with falling in love with the idea of what's ahead in the next class. Now, there are times where, like I said, I don't love this quarterback class, but the Lions are picking at 32 in this spot and, and get what, in my eyes, is a top three quarterback in this class. They're not sitting there at nine like the Broncos or 11 as the commanders going, we just have to take a guy. We have to take a guy in the top 15. And and the thing I would add to that, too, is I will not at any point in this pre-draft process be arguing for them to take a quarterback at number two overall. I just won't. Never. 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 And I won't. But because they have this luxury of picking 32nd overall, and as we know with rookie contracts, if you're drafted in the first round, you're given this opportunity with a fifth-year option, which is so valuable for quarterbacks, but the highest-paid position in the NFL, I just think it'd be foolish not to, right? Because it doesn't keep you from drafting a quarterback in 2023 and 2024 and beyond but what it does do is start this process right if you take a Trayvon Walker here a Jalen Petrie here or you know another player that you feel is a sure thing or it's going to help you stack the deck it's not going to have the same impact as finding out if Matt Corral's good or not right like like finding out Matt Corral is someone you can build around is so much more valuable than bringing in say a Jalen Petrie who I love out of Baylor and having him play really well for your football team because I guess what if he plays well enough and Jared Goff plays well enough and you're on the outside looking in in 2023 we're going to be having the same conversations again and you're ultimately in this quarterback purgatory where you have to do something like what the washington commanders have to do and trade multiple first round picks say for a russell wilson or pittsburgh has to trade multiple first round picks for a Derek carr go start this quarterback search now i'll be banging that table all season all right and you had them getting jalen petrie with the 34th overall pick anyway so obviously the quarterback would go at 32 because of the value of that fifth year option all right moving on to round two the pick that jumps out to me right away I would love to see this happen. I'm not convinced he gets there, but like I said, we can't play that game every single week. Somebody has to fall. Zion Johnson to the Bears at 39. I look at the Bears and go, man, who is going to make it from the offensive line? And I think there's a chance they're proactive in free agency on the offensive line. Obviously, you have Ryan Poles there, a guy that values the line. They know they have to be better in front of Justin Fields. In this scenario, though, which is almost a dream scenario, uh, somebody who I've liked to teams like Tennessee in the first round before Zion makes it to 39 for the Bears. He's number 41 on the big board, so the value completely aligns there. Uh, obviously, you see that one happening, but that just seems like a no-brainer for Chicago. It's it's not. I think it's not just a no-brainer. It's a dream scenario, like you said. Like if Zion Johnson, who I think is you know one of the top interior offensive line prospects in this class behind Linderbaum, gets that far, they're going to be in such a good position to sprint the card in, in my opinion. Zion Johnson, I think everyone said it down at the Senior Bowl. If you had to start an offensive lineman from that Senior Bowl tomorrow in the NFL, Zion Johnson felt like the guy that would hit the ground running the most, right? And that's not to say he's a perfect prospect. That's not to say he's 
this guy that should be a top 10 pick, but you feel confident in his floor. You feel confident in his body type and what he can do at the next level early in his career. And Chicago, guess what? Needs that. They need guys that can play well now. They they have a window. They have object, they have a window with Justin Fields to go win with him on a rookie contract. Go bring in players that can support him now, not in two or three years now, because Chicago has this luxury, this cheat code in the NFL that is having a, a quarterback on a rookie contract, which saves you money in free agency and saves you to spend elsewhere and add in valuable picks. All right, so looking at the early stages of round two, who was the player here that you're like, man, I can't believe he's still on the board. I, I feel like people are going to expect him to go in round one. I wish I could have fit him into round one, but instead he falls out and, and falls into the right spot. I mean, there are multiple players. I think Jalen Petrie was a guy that I wanted to mock to the Detroit Lions at 32, but then thought more about the quarterback situation, et cetera. But getting him at, at the top of the third round, I think also our second round, Jahan Dotson is a guy that I do oh, yeah. really like. And could he sneak into the back round? Absolutely. Or back of the first round, but getting him to Houston at the top of the second round was something I really liked as well. Kenny Pickett and Carson Strong both come off the board in the second round for me. Kenny Pickett going to the Atlanta Falcons, who I do think need to bring in a quarterback that can redshirt behind Matt Ryan, right? Matt Ryan's on the books for $45 million in 2021, and it does not look like he's going to be playing in Atlanta really in the NFL for much beyond his last contract, right? He has 2021 and 20, no, 2022 and 2023 seasons left on his deal. So getting a quarterback that could come in and redshirt behind a Matt Ryan, I think is positive. They, they could look at a Malik Willis if he does fall to day two, et cetera. And then Kenny, uh, Carson Strong going to the Indianapolis Colts where Chris Ballard has kind of expressed his uncertainty on what they want to do with Carson Wentz, bring in the quarterback again that where you're not confident in him being this top 10 player, but still likes some of the tools he brings to the table. I think Carson Strong to Indianapolis was another fit I liked. Yeah. So let's, let's stay on that one. And then we'll go back to Kenny Pickett, making it to 40 with the Colts, man, they are in such a unique situation. They have done Ballard and Dodds have done a good job of building this roster uh, at times capitalizing on a division that has been not the best, especially when you really focus in on Jacksonville and, and you know, obviously Houston, what's going on there. You basically have half the division that is non-competitive. So it's you and Tennessee with under under Mike Rabel has been good. But you look at the Colts right now, they're in this unique spot where, you know, Carson Wentz has spilled milk, right? You're not going to go back and stare at it and yell at it and cry over it. I understand why people are. There's a lot of reasons to be mad and not being on board with that move, but it's over. It happened. It's done. Now in round two, you take Carson Strong, who has made big plays on tape. He has a big arm. Everyone knows that. He's a, a big pocket passer that can push the ball vertically down the field. But I think a lot of people might look at this pick and, and, and have, you know, is, is this just a boosted Jacob Eason kind of guy? Is this, or are we going to go out and get a veteran, a bridge starter, and sit strong behind him? What did the Colts do here at this yeah. point at quarter? I just don't see a clear-cut answer. Like, I don't see them being involved in, obviously, a Rodgers, a rough sweepstakes. I mean, if you go Jimmy G, are, are people going to flip out because you just missed, right? You just missed on Wentz. That's not enough for me. But is Carson Strong the answer in round two? I don't think that is either. So, I don't know what to do with this team right now. I mean, the issue is, is that there isn't a good answer because you've, <laughs> yes. you've, you've, you've pushed your chips essentially in Carson Wentz's pocket and it hasn't panned out as evidenced by, I think, two, two decision makers are in a similar spot from that standpoint. Chris Ballard and Indianapolis Colts trading a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, and then the Carolina Panthers trading a second-round pick and extending that fifth-year option to Sam Darnold, right? You saw the press conference with Matt Rule talking about that decision. We felt like it was a good decision at the time. Now we're second-guessing it, right? These teams made failed bets, and now they're reaping what they sowed. And now for the Indianapolis Colts, I think – 
do if you like one of these quarterbacks that falls today too, because there will be multiple, right? I do think Kenny Pickett, Carson Strong could be that. You could see Malik Willis, Malik Willis potentially fall there. I think a lot of people don't think he's ready in year one or year two, but you might want to start again this quarterback search for the future now rather than you know, banking on trying to get this guy in 2023 or 2024. Because Carson Wentz, if he is the starter, is not going to lose so many games to where the Indianapolis Colts are, you know, picking inside the, you know, the top five. He's just not. Like, they almost made the playoffs last year, but ultimately in the final season, it's 14-point favorites, lost to Jacksonville Jaguars, and did not make the playoffs. Now, I think I could see them not going quarterback in round two, but bringing in Carson Strong to back up or start ahead of Carson Wentz to begin this quarterback search just feels like a better bet than watching them hit purgatory again with Carson Wentz. And even if they do make the postseason, right, losing in the first or second round and then looking at themselves in the face and thinking, what's next? Because it's not Carson Wentz. We found that out after two seasons because I think that's what ultimately they will be. Yeah, it's I, they're just so hard to figure out right now, and and Ballard needs a creative answer, but that might cost something that they were not prepared to move on from if that's the route they got to go. I think there's an important distinction around failed bets in the NFL at the quarterback position. You know, failed bets with single draft picks are not nearly, nearly as bad because everyone looks like, oh my gosh, you drafted this guy in the top 10 or the top 15 at the quarterback position and he didn't pan out. You set the franchise back two, three years. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, you can right. move on from quarterbacks faster than that as evidenced by the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray. You don't have to commit three, four years to a quarterback that you draft inside the top 10 or the top 15. But what are failed bets? What does set a franchise back multiple years is when you trade multiple picks for a quarterback and agree to this monster contract, which is exactly what the Colts did, which is exactly what the Rams did with Jared Goff. And now the, the Rams made an incredible play to sell all their draft picks and obviously shoot the moon to go get Matthew Stafford and, and go win a Super Bowl. But there are teams that aren't in that position, right? There are teams that have made failed bets at the quarterback position by giving them a monster contract or trading for the wrong guy. And that's ultimately put them in a position where they've had to double down and make things worse, right? The Rams, because of the failed uh, contract with Jared Goff, have to trade multiple first-round picks and try and shoot the mood with Matthew Stafford. The San Francisco 49ers, because of giving Jimmy G the contract and obviously trading for him, they trade multiple first-round picks to go get Trey Lance. The failed bets in trading for quarterbacks and paying quarterbacks are infinitely worse, infinitely franchise-setting back more than swinging a bat in the first round on a quarterback on a rookie contract, right? It's not like the Jamarcus Russell era, where if you draft a player number one overall and you pay him like this $80 million contract out of the gate, that's a, that you can set a franchise back pretty quickly. With rookie contracts and how those are positioned now, you know, drafting a Sam Howell at 11 if you're the Seattle Seahawks and you move on from Russell Wilson, you can miss on that pick and still fight your way back, right? It's, it's just a lot easier than that. Man, that's the theme of this mock draft. I mean, you had Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers all on the move, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with everybody looking at the Rams, and they said, we need quarterback to be better to get over this hump. We cannot get over this hump. We lost the Super Bowl. We're going to go for it with Matthew Stafford, and yes, they went for it in a lot of other areas, but that's the one that stands out in terms of the premium capital, in terms of the money and what it's going to be, uh, and it worked. And it, mm-hmm. you know what? It might not work for denver this year if they tried it might not work for pittsburgh or the commanders but at least you're trying to win a super bowl you're not just trying to stay competitive exactly or treading water and i think i think it's going to be a much more common trend so let's stay with quarterback here 40 going, we're going back a little bit now kenny pickett at 40 to the falcons 47 on the big board right here someone that you you almost can't find a mock draft anywhere uh that doesn't have him in the first round at this point 
Is Kenny Pickett a hard sell for you as a round one quarterback pick? Right now, yes. I, I think the age concerns me a bit. Like everyone talks about, well, he's played the best football of any of these guys, right? He's graded the best in his final year at Pittsburgh. He was an older player though, right? It took time for Kenny Pickett to get to that. A lot of years for him to get to that level. And when you're banking, like think, think about Sam Howell. Sam Howell's the only like true junior quarterback in this class that's viewed among the top six. And we haven't seen the year that Kenny Pickett had in terms of his development from Sam Howell yet. That year for him will be in the NFL. So you think about what Sam Howell can do in another year. We've seen that year from Kenny Pickett, the collegiate level, and he dominated at Pittsburgh, but we still haven't seen that from Sam Howell. Age matters so much in production, not because you need to draft young players, but because if you see guys get to their 22, 23-year-old year at the quarterback position and they dominate, it's so much different than seeing quarterbacks dominate at 19 and 20 years old. It speaks to just what they could be from a development standpoint. That's why I do disagree with a lot of the Malik Willis, Josh Allen com um, comparisons, right? Well, well, two or three years in the NFL, maybe we'll have this Josh Allen-like leap. Malik Willis has been in the NFL or been in college football for a long time. He's transferred from Auburn. He went to, Malik, you know, went to Liberty and he's developed and all that. He's an older prospect than what Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming. So I do think for Kenny Pickett, he's a sell for me. I also think the hand size will be an issue. Kenny, two gloves will be his entire career. And if he does show up, even with – so you know the, the number out there is eight and a quarter inch hands, which would be the smallest we've ever seen zero in the NFL. Yeah, zero percentile, smallest we've ever seen. Even if he stretches these puppies out to eight and a half, eight and three quarters. It's not getting a nine. It's still going to be – very, very small. And the historical success for quarterbacks with that kind of hand size is so concerning that it'd be difficult to really do. I mean, difficult for me to buy into him as his first round projection, especially when there are just other guys simply with tools that I like more. There are like Malik Willis, Howell, Corral. I don't think maybe haven't has played as good of a season as we saw from Kenny Pickett this past year, but I think they have better tools to buy into to build around than what Pickett has. All right, a tandem. I really like in this mock draft as we we get towards the end here. You had Malik Willis going round one to the Saints. Uh, so he is a top 20 pick. Not as early, though, as some people are expecting. And then in round two, you have him taking Sky Moore, who I know you and Renner have, have been on as early as anyone. I think that's a name that you're starting to see more in draft circles. We're officially out of the, you know, the big six where it's like London, Burks, Wilson, Alave, uh, Dotson, you know, even like David Bell has been circulating, but Sky Moore is is definitely someone that's getting more popular. That tandem for their future with Malik Willis and Sky Moore. And I think 50 is going to be right around his range when all is said and done. I know probably for a while people have been looking outside the top 75. I think that's going to be a pipe dream, especially when we get after combine workouts and just people catching up on tape, especially matching tape. Uh, so Sky Moore, you guys are obviously really high on him. Number 30 on the big board. How do you see that Saints future projecting forward with those two? Yeah, I mean, for Mike, he sees him as, you know, borderline first round top of day two type of player. I think his size will push him further than that. I think people will be concerned with how big he is. I think he's going to come in at like five foot 11, 190, 195. After that Elijah Moore last year. Exactly. I think people will sour on him as this back end of the first top of the second round type of player. But if he gets to 50, the New Orleans Saints should be really excited at the player he's getting. He's from Pittsburgh and his favorite player in the NFL is Deontay Johnson. I think that's a very good comparison for the type of shiftiness he has in his in his in his routes, right? Like he is a very, you know, I was talking to Chris Olave recently, the Ohio State wide receiver, and he says, you look at these guys in the NFL that have movement in their routes. That's the type of player I want to be. You want movement in your routes at the next level. Sky Moore has movement in his routes. So does Deontay Johnson. There are other receivers that do create 
separation at the next level that do have success that are a little bit stiffer in how they create separation or how they you know are at the release point. But Sky Moore, man, he is a jitterbug at the line of scrimmage and really good after the catch too. The size will be concerning. The size, I think, does push him into the 40 to 60 range. But the New Orleans Saints, who need to add weapons on offense, starting at the quarterback position, then potentially at receiver as well, I think Sky Moore is the, uh, is the pick. All right, before we get out of here, one pick that I'm I'm down on just to balance this out. We've shown a lot of love to a lot of picks. So one pick that I was down on at the end of round two uh, is Christian Harris to the Raiders. Now, I do think the Raiders need to get a little better in the middle of their defense, and that goes from all the way up front and right back to linebacker as well. Christian Harris to me, man, I, I came into this season thinking, man, he's probably going to be a top 40 pick. I think it's, it's going to be smooth sailing playing behind the Alabama defensive line. This is a scheme that... We've seen linebackers flourish in and some even get to the NFL and struggle. I just don't know what to do with him. I came away this year a little underwhelmed on tape. I guess how he tests, he can get right back into that top 60 pick. But Christian Harris to the Raiders at 54. What was your thought process with that one? I got to be honest. I also don't really love that pick. I, <laughs> I, I struggle I struggle with mocking off-ball linebackers, honestly, consistently in drafts. Because it's it's a difficult position when you, know, you have George Pickens go right after. And I know a lot of yeah. people really like George Pickens. And the Raiders desperately need more weapons beyond Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. But I saw it as Christian Harris, the prospect, and what he could be being enough to take him right outside the top 50. Now I can be convinced otherwise I have Chad Muma going a bit later, who I also like coming out of Wyoming, but again, the off ball linebacker position, the low positional value, maybe you are better off taking a Justin Ross or a Cameron Thomas out of San Diego state, Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. Like those are going to be the other players in that range at higher positions of value. But I, I'm interested to see the combine for Harris. I think that could be where he separates himself a bit or at least kind of solidifies himself as this day two player. But I agree with you. Like the, the production was not as good as what people thought. I mean, there were people who were mocking him inside the first round, you know, uh, early in this, uh, in this pre-draft process. So Christian Harris, I agree with you. I'm not surprised you hate the pick. I think it, I think it's one I don't love as well. Yeah. It, he's a tough sell for me um, in the top 60 of this draft. All right. So, we went through a lot of it, but if you please go check out all the two round monster mock draft from Austin, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, all on the move. And that's really shakes up a lot of the picks and it really helps with the teams that do not have a first round pick uh, to get involved in the second round. So what else you got coming up, dude? I know you've been busy. I'm excited to see this Aiden Hutchinson series as well, yeah. because uh, I mean, the dude is just an animal and, and really fun to listen to. I've heard him on a couple of different pods, a really interesting guy. Yeah, so obviously the two-round mock draft, if you are on PFF.com on Monday, that should be out. That's obviously one of the bigger things I've been working on late. Also, the Tailgate podcast. Make sure you check out Mike and I having a ton of fun, all this pre-draft process. And the Hutchinson podcast, Hutch, a four-part podcast series where I'm going to sit down with this guy for two days, right? We got plans to sit down in Ann Arbor, Cincinnati for two days and really talk through his story. He's a guy that's wildly supported by his family. His mom is a photographer. His dad's a doctor. His sister is in the same boat. Like He has got such Crazy. a supportive family and talking to Quiddy Pay, David Ajabo, Don Brown of late, and hearing just like the type of player this guy is on the practice field, off the field, and on the field, I, it's just going to be a really exciting piece. And it's, I think it's going to be content that we just haven't seen on projected number one overall picks, right? Like we just have not seen before the draft these guys open up. You know, you, you, you look at some of the quarterbacks that have gone in the top five picks over the last few years. They're ex extensively, you know, essentially not doing a lot of media before the draft, not necessarily willing to open up their entire higher life to to the media and, and, and to evaluators and i think aiden hutchinson because of that comfortability i think it's going to be a piece of content that surprises a lot of people and it's one i'm really excited about 
Yeah, it feels like he's the type of guy that's like, I have nothing to hide. This exactly. is who I am. Everybody's going to really like me. Everyone's going to want to draft me <laughs> at the top two of this draft. So I can't wait to listen, man. And as always, uh, you guys have had an incredible amount of interviews on the tailgate, not just you and Renner's draft analysis, but amount of guys that are going to be top 10, top 20, top 30 picks in this draft that you've gotten to talk to. Uh, so if you're not on that feed, which I'm sure most of you are as PFF listeners, go check that as well. He is Austin Gale from PFF. Really appreciate you joining me to go through this entire mock draft, man. I'm Connor Rogers, and we will catch you for another episode of NFL Stock Exchange tomorrow. 